Welcome to another edition of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, the award-winning show covering fishing, hunting, conservation, destinations, and other outdoors recreation across the greater Northwest. Northwestern Outdoors is brought to you by Max Lur, Sportsman's Warehouse, Sina Sea Seafood, and Wallowa County Chamber of Commerce in the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program. And now, let's see what's happening this week with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. I've got to tell you, I'm in my happy place this week. I spent Thursday and Friday fishing a Pro-Am tournament put on by Lemon Out Marine at Mardon Resort in Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington. Was fishing out of the back of the boat and got a chance to learn from some real pros and go bass fishing for two days trying to win some money. And now, as we speak, this weekend... I am fishing a big bass tournament at the same location with my very best friend and longtime fishing partner, Rusty Johnston. We've got our boat out, and we are hunting for a bass over five pounds, which should at least give us an hourly paycheck. And if we can find a six-pounder, there's a good chance we're going to walk away with $10,000 for the biggest bass of the weekend. Wish us luck. As always, we need it. After all, we have never cashed a check yet, despite our efforts over the years. And I'll let you know how it goes in two weeks. As you might imagine, with me fishing this week, this is pre-recorded a few days in advance. And I was lucky enough to talk to Glenn May. He is the man behind BassResource.com, a fantastic resource if you are a bass angler. He's got tons of videos on YouTube, lots of great articles, not just by him, but also by other professional bass anglers. And before I went to go fish this Pro-Am tournament, I made a point to ask him how to catch bass out of the back of the boat fishing used water. His answer was pretty surprising, and his advice is really good. I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from him during the show today. Speaking of catching fish, Bob Loomis with Max Lure is back to help you catch catfish with some products from Max Lure. Because right now is a great time to catch them either at the mouth of the Palouse River in southeast Washington, the mouth of the John Day River in northern Oregon, or the Snake River in Idaho. Speaking of Idaho, we'll talk to Lori McConnell. She handles tourism for the state, and this is a great time to head to the Gem State to see wildflowers. You'll learn a whole bunch about Idaho's wildflowers when we get her on the air to include the state wildflower for Idaho. And we'll tell you about several places you can go to take in all the blooming wildflowers this spring. We've got another guest for you too, and you'll hear from him in just a couple of minutes. That would be Ron Prentice. He's with the Mount St. Helens chapter of the Backcountry Horsemen of Washington State. Ron will tell you about a fun ride fundraiser they've got coming up this summer and about the great work this organization does to help maintain our trails at a time when the government doesn't seem to have the ability to do it as well as they have in the past. As usual, we'll have our Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week for you and another appeal to help out my friend Rhonda Edwards. We've got a GoFundMe campaign going for her as she fights cancer and seeks some specialized treatment that she just can't get here in the Northwest. If you've donated, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, I would invite you to check out our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio or FundMe and look for the Help Rhonda Edwards Fight Cancer fundraiser. Anything you can contribute would be greatly appreciated. Put it all together, and I think we've got another great show coming your way. So let's kick it off the way we always do with another edition of Sportsman Spotlight with David Sparks, brought to you every week by the Ag Information Network of the West. Ed Bangs and the Bear, David Sparks, with Sportsman Spotlight. Ed Bangs, who for 23 years led the effort to reintroduce and recover healthy wolf populations in the northern Rocky Mountains, retired from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. 
As most of you know, I've had many conversations about wolf recovery over the years, some with Ed and a lot with others. And the last time I talked to him, I asked him if he would be willing to share some hunting stories with us all. One time we were on Raspberry Island hunting, and a friend of mine shot a deer in the neck, and it ran by me, and I shot it in the other end, and then it ran off bleeding pretty good. So I was trailing it. He was behind me, and then I hear some brush crashing up in front of me. I thought, well, it was a deer falling down and stuff. And my buddy yells out. He's probably a couple hundred yards behind me. Then he goes, Ed, there's a bear up there. I'm like, okay, you know, no big deal. Pretty soon he yells, and I hear it again. He goes, hey, Ed, it's coming towards you. You probably ought to get out of there. So I just kind of trot down this hill just trying to get out of the way. Then I go, where's the bear? And I turn behind me, and there's this brown bear like 20 yards from me just coming at me like a rocket. And so I threw my bow away because you don't want to fall on your arrows and get stabbed or anything, and spun around. I had a pistol, cocked it, locked in the position. This bear's like 10 yards away from me. Then it realized I'm a person. So I think it would have just smelled the blood, thought I was a deer or something. But anyway, slams on the brakes and then just stops, and we watch each other for a couple seconds. Then it just walks away from me. So my buddy came running up with his pistol, and he goes, I thought you were toast. All's well that ends well. It's been popping up in orchards and vineyards all over. Any origin theories, callers? Oh, hey, yeah, it's Sevia fungicide from BASF, a category leader in disease control. How do you explain these healthy crops? Well, longer-lasting residual. Plus, it's built for current regulatory standards and prepared for what's to come, which improves crop marketing flexibility, so... A fungicide that is out of this world? I knew it. Sevia fungicide from BASF. Or is it... Always read and follow link directions. Get the power you need for your farm equipment. The power of peace of mind that dependable Senex lubricants deliver. With decades of proven off-road performance, backed by the industry-leading Senex Total Protection Plan warranty, Senex heavy-duty diesel engine oils, hydraulic fluids, gear lubricants, and greases are formulated to provide superior protection for load-bearing equipment. The power you need to keep your business running like a well-oiled machine. Contact your local distributor today for Senex lubricants. Dependability powered locally. Backcountryhunters.org. Join the fight for our public lands and waters today. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Ron Prentice on the line. He is with the Mount St. Helens chapter of Backcountry Horsemen of Washington, and they've got a whole lot going on I think you want to hear about. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure. Well, before we talk about Backcountry Horsemen, I guess we ought to talk about fishing in Okanagan County. You're getting ready to go out with a buddy. Where are you going to be heading out today? Well, we're going to fish uh, Wanaket and Spectacle, and then probably end up at Fish Lake there tomorrow. We do fish Crawfish Lake a little bit, but it's a non-motor deal. You have to have only a trolling motor up there in a smaller boat, and all of them are great. Rainbows, Kokanee's, Brook Trout, all of them are on the menu up here. And this time of year, those fingerling plants that were put in last year are catchable now, and some of the holdovers are pretty good size. You know, it's a good place to fish. Okanagan County has some treasures that a lot of people don't even know about. It's a great place. You're absolutely right. And used to go up there myself every spring and fish him. And somehow I've kind of fallen off that train, so I need to get back on there. You point out some really good lakes, and Wanaket in particular is a really pretty lake to fish. But getting back to the Mount St. Helens chapter of the Backcountry Horsemen of Washington. Tell our listeners a little bit about this organization, not just a chapter, but the statewide organization itself. Well, actually, we're a national organization, and 
almost every state in the country, probably less Florida, has a backcountry horseman chapter. And I feel very fortunate that my partner and I are part of uh, Backcountry Horsemen of Washington and Mount St. Helens chapter. The state chapter has about 1,200 members. All the state chapters have volunteer work they do. Um, with the U.S. Forest Service and, you know, the National Park Service and so forth, there's really no trail crews anymore like there used to be. And so if the trails are to be open and maintained, that pretty much falls on the backcountry horsemen chapters to take responsibility in their given areas. Like with us, it's the Gifford Pinchot National Forest, the Mount St. Helens National Monument, Battleground Lake uh, has a Battleground Lake is a state park, and we maintain the trails there along with Washington Trail Riders. And uh, like up at Rock Creek, we help with the DNR to maintain those trails, and it not only benefits backcountry horsemen, it also benefits the people that mountain bike and the people that hike and we maintain those trails to make sure they're safe and passable by you know taking pack stock in and removing deadfall in the spring of the year and shoring up the trails and you know putting rocks where necessary to keep the trail from sloughing off and that type of thing and you know we do it so everybody can enjoy not just us and we put in thousands and thousands of hours of volunteer time across the state and all that work is maintained by our fundraisers that we do across the state like our fun ride and what happens is once a year in july given date and weather and everything we have our fundraiser at kalama horse camp up by cougar washington and kalama horse camp was actually pursued and built by the mount st helens chapter in conjunction with the forest service and my partner judy she was part of that deal along with her deceased husband and the rest of the chapter and we maintain you know like the corral and now Rocky Mountain, the management company for the uh, Kalama Horse Camp, has donated a new corral. So that all goes in the situation. But our fundraisers help fund our volunteers to go across the state and do the volunteer work. So our fun ride is our fundraiser for the year. All right. Well, before we get more into the fun ride, what's involved with that, let me ask you a question about the lack of trail crews. You're absolutely right about this. I've noticed the last couple of years, trails that are normally well-maintained have not really been maintained at all, and it does seem to fall to volunteer organizations like yours and Washington Trails Association to do the heavy lifting, and sometimes that heavy lifting is a little bit too much. Is the issue funding? Because I keep hearing the Forest Service is getting more and more funding from the federal government, or is it just a lack of people who are wanting to work in this role with the Forest Service? Well, I think that over the years, and I'm a former outfitter in Idaho, a lot of years in the outfitting business in the Selway wilderness, and over the years, funding went away, and then it came back, and I think the overall situation with the Forest Service, you know, it's it's not so much funding, it's their idea of what their goals are, and they work with us pretty close, but sometimes, you know, depending on who the, the ranger is on the district, the district ranger, and what their goals are, are different than what trails mean, you know, and the situation is, is, is they've, they've trying to change their course of action of what they, they want and what they do and their goals. And our goals in backcountry horsemen is always about access and multiple use, about leave no trace. I like that a lot, Ron. All right, let's talk a little bit about the annual fun ride. Again, it's happening at the Kalama Horse Camp near Cougar, Washington. The date's Saturday, July 15th. What's going to happen there? 
Well, my partner and several people will go up like on Wednesday or Thursday before the, the fun ride. And you have to register for the fun ride. And they have a short course and a long course. Short course and a long course are different routes around through the uh, Mount St. Helens Monument trails. There's lots of trails, lots of trails, lots to do. But they go out and they flag these the few days before the, the fun ride. They go out and flag the trail so everybody knows where they're going because obviously it's a large area and we don't want any people to get turned around and lost and then you come in and register we have the campground totally booked up so that people can get a hold of our president brian jansen and can book a site with corrals all the sites there have corrals except for a couple and then you book your you book your site then you have a place to stay park your trailer and you come in and you ride saturday morning and saturday afternoon and at three o'clock we have our fundraiser and the fundraiser this year we have more sponsors than we could ever imagine we have national sponsors such as miller international which is cinch jeans and curl girl jeans we have stetson hat which basically resists all and stetson are the same company and uh, the president of that company is ricky bolin i used to be able to ride bucking horses and i traveled with those guys that were some of them in the top 15 in the world and uh, we have Silver Lining Herbs out of Idaho, Mickey Young, uh, and the guy that bought that chance, they're sponsoring us. We have Gun Dog Supply. Everybody has a dog that trail rides with them. We have local sponsors such as Grease Monkey and the local feed stores are all involved. You know, it's just amazing. We have probably in the neighborhood of $10,000 in donations. So everybody sent, gave us something in the way of a gift certificate or, you know, things like that. And we have a big wire roller. Everybody buys tickets. You put them in there and then the big prizes will pick every fifth card. The little prizes will be, you know, five in a row and then we'll go to a big prize. So it'll take two or three hours probably to do all the drawing for the raffle and everybody buys tickets like I said. We have banners from all the major sponsors. Vetrison's another sponsor. Uh, Bob Burlingame out in California owns Vetrison and Flying Bee Ranch down in Kamei, Idaho and, and old friends. So we have a lot of connections. It's all about keeping the trails open for the people in Washington and the rest of the country. All right. Well, it sounds like a really fun event. If you want to find out more about it, go to the website for the Mount St. Helens chapter of the Backcountry Horsemen in Washington. That is mountstheelens-bchw.org. I'll repeat that, mountstheelens-bchw.org, or just Google Backcountry Horsemen of Washington. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Cena Sea Seafood. That's the family-run company that catches wild Alaskan seafood in the cold waters of Alaska, packages them in meal-sized portions, and delivers them right to your door. And right now is the time to pre-order your Copper River King and Sockeye Salmon that's going to be shipped the last two weeks of May. Everyone knows that Copper River Sockeye Salmon is arguably the best-tasting salmon you are ever going to have. And you can start pre-ordering right now. Simply go to SinaSea.com, that's the website, S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com, and order some today. You can also get more information about this at the SinaSea Facebook page. You'll find that at SinaSea as well. The website again, SinaSea.com, the place to go right now to order Copper River King and Sockeye Salmon that will be shipped the last two weeks of May.
come to Oregon's Wallowa County for outdoors adventure. Hike, ride, paddle, fish, or sightsee to your heart's content. And then visit one of our wonderful towns, whether it be Joseph with its beautiful bronze statues, our county seat in Enterprise, or one of our charming small towns like Wallowa, Imnaha, or Troy, where you can eat, shop, and sleep before continuing your adventure the next day. Plan your visit now at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio and to an extended Max Minute brought to you by Max Lur. You know what time it is? It's time for another edition of the extended Max Minute, or you can call it two-minute drill as long as we've been going on lately. And with us again is Bob Loomis. Bob, welcome back. Thank you, John. So springtime is catfish time, and you can catch them during the spring at the mouth of the Palouse River, at the mouth of the John Day River, and certainly on the Snake River as well. How do you like to go about catching them? Well, you know, John, I have a limited amount of knowledge on it just because of the fact that we used to go fish down at the mouth of the John Day, and we used to drift fish for them, just like you would for steelhead. But we use, we'd use a night crawler, and just using a night crawler, drifting it through a particular drift, those fish are stacked up. You know, we catch fish that were between five to fifteen pounds, and I mean some really really nice fish. But I look at some of the products that we have and things you know that we have available to us today, and I'll tell you what, it just blows my mind. Using pill floats and smile blades to emulate. Uh, forage-based colors, perch patterns, different types of bait fish patterns, things like that. They would work absolutely fantastic. So using a smile blade with a pill float where you can create that forage base, I think would work extremely well. So are you going to drift fish this or plunk it? I would drift fish for them, but you could also plunk it at the same time. With the pill float and the smile blade, it's going to draw it up off the bottom So it would work very, very well, just even plunking it. All right. Well, break out the night crawlers or whatever your favorite catfish bait is and tie it on a hook. And above that hook, get some pill floats and a smile blade. You'll probably be in business for some catfish this spring. Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure 9 inches or longer. The fish are worth 6 8 or $10, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth 500 bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter with the gear you need for fishing, hunting, camping, paddling, cooking, and just about anything else you can do in the woods or in the water. With over 125 stores across America, there is bound to be a Sportsman's Warehouse near you with not only the gear you need, but also the experts to help you get the most out of the product you purchase. Head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. That's sportsmans.com. Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning in to 69 stations in seven states. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com. 
I'm gonna take you fishing, honey You're gonna love it Gonna get up before the sun Rise above us Got a bamboo pole and a leaky boat It ain't much, but if you bail, it'll float I'm Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Glenn May on the line. He is the man behind BassResource.com. It is literally one of my go-to places when it comes to learning to be a better bass angler. He's got articles, he's got lots of videos, and you will definitely up your game if you check out BassResource.com. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. So I was watching one of your videos yesterday about doing well as a co-angler, fishing out of the back of the boat. And this is very important to me right now because I'm going to be a co-angler at a tournament at Potholes Reservoir during the Limit Out Marine Pro-Am event that's happening this week. Before we get into how to be successful as a co-angler, let's go over some etiquette. I want to make sure I don't screw anything up as a co-angler here. What are some things that I should be aware of as a co-angler fishing with a pro? Oh, my goodness, John. We can talk about this for hours. <laughs> but I'll distill it down to like three main points because it's really important. First of all, you know, a lot of guys, you know, as a boater, they'll leave a storage compartment or two available for you for your gear. Don't assume that you have that because some don't. So the best thing to do is downsize your gear and bring a small tackle bag that carries like you know, four or five Plano 3700 size boxes. That should be enough for a day of fishing. That should be plenty. You don't need a suitcase full of lures uh, for a day of fishing. And uh, only bring about four or five rods. Don't bring your whole arsenal. You should be good to go for an entire day of fishing. So that's like key number one is just downsize your equipment. Number two is this isn't your boat. This is someone else's baby. So treat it like it's your own. And that may sound like common sense, but some things that are easy to miss. For example, if you have tennis shoes or shoes that have an aggressive grip, it might be easy to track on some dirt or mud or gravel, that sort of thing. So just make sure you stomp your feet and get all that off when you get on this boat. And just be careful where you step when you get in on the back of the boat that you don't step on the seats. Because uh, sometimes some guys get pretty upset about that, and for, and for good reason. You you can leave marks on the seats if you got a lot of gravel or something in your shoes. And then also when you bring something to eat, pay attention, make some good choices there. Bring things that don't leave crumbs, for example, like peanuts and sunflower seeds, crackers, probably not a good choice. <laughs> I would do something more along the lines of, you know, power bars and things like that. You know, I've, I've seen guys talk about backseaters. Well, I knew one guy who left a pile of peanut shells in the backseat of his boat. It's like, oh my, oh my goodness, you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> So just uh, make some smart choices there. All right. I know a couple of the rules. Number one, never cast in front of the angler or in the front of the boat unless he says you can. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to be giving that pro some gas money, too, because that's the right thing to do. It's his boat and his gas. Fishing out of the back of the boat, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm doing this at this tournament because... Frankly, I'm hoping to be fishing with an angler that's better than me and I can learn from that person. Is that the right mindset to have? It can be. I mean, you you can always learn from each other. There's always that opportunity. But when I'm in the back of the boat, I don't go with that mindset that, hey, it's the guy in the front of me is always better and he's always going to know a better decision. Instead, I look at it like, hey, I know my casting. I know my skills. I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to show this guy a thing or two. I think that I'm actually going to catch more fish than him, and I'm going to show him how to do it. Okay, that's not an attitude. That's not a goal, but that's a mindset. So you're not, you don't, so a lot of guys think that they're just fishing used water and they're doing cleanup, but go in with that mindset instead, and I promise you, you'll be a lot more successful. 
Let's talk about another subject, though, when it comes to fishing on the back of the boat. And this applies not just to tournament situations, but any situation. If you're just fishing with your buddy, and your buddy, you know, is in the front of the boat with a trolling motor and deciding where the boat's going to go, how do you catch fish when you're basically got second shot at the water that's being fished? You know, you're not the first person to fish it, your buddy is. Yeah, let's blow away the whole notion that you're fishing used water, first of all. That's kind of a misnomer. And think about it this way. If you've got 10 bass in this confined area and you make multiple casts to them with the same lure, you're going to pick up a few of those, but not all of them. And now you drop that lure and you throw something else, you might pick up a few more after a few casts, but again, not all of them. Well, why is that? Well, all the bass in a given area don't have the same disposition. Some will be aggressive, some will be lethargic, some will be more apt to bite flashy, fast-moving lures, where others are more apt to bite slow-moving lures. So at any given time, the guy in the front of the boat, he is only appealing to a small segment of all the bass that are in the area. So that's a key concept to keep in mind. So for you as a backseater, don't mimic what he's doing, but instead throw something completely different. If he's throwing a crankbait, pick up a spinnerbait or swim jig. If he's fishing really slow, find something that fits a little bit faster or a topwater lure or something like that. Same thing with casting. Don't throw where he's been casting because especially if he's not catching fish. Right, Because if he keeps casting these primaries and he's not catching the fish, he's telling you where the fish aren't and what's not working. So why mimic that? Okay, great advice there. I absolutely love that. And I guess that really explains why you should never throw the same thing that the pro or the, the guy in the front of the boat is throwing. I've never actually heard it broken down that way. I've always heard you should not throw the same thing, but not the way you just broke it down. So that's good to know. Let's talk about scenarios where maybe somebody is fishing right up on the bank or right into the grass, or right into the willows, and because you're in the back of the boat, you just don't have a shot at that. What do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, bass boats are shaped kind of like a bullet, right? So on the guy in the front, he's actually a little bit further away and has better ability to cast those targets. Where you're at the back, you might be right on top of that. So where this comes into play is casting. The one thing in bass fishing is that you can practice casting, and there's five main casts to master. There's an overhand cast, a sidearm cast, flipping and pitching, skipping, and the backhand cast. And it's not just accuracy with those casts, but also your presentation. You want that lure to softly go in the water as much as possible. If you can master that, I promise you, you'll be able to get your lure in places where the front seater can't, and you'll be able to be more accurate and with a better presentation. So even if it may seem like you're blocked off, you can fish you know, at spots behind the boat or on the other side of the boat. That's A lot of guys won't do that. They'll switch over, fish the opposite side of the boat. You can have lots of opportunities back there. This is always a depth finder at the console, right? right? Pay attention to that because if you're using side scan, look on the other side of the boat. You might see a rock or a hump or a lock or something that the front seater didn't see. And make that cast, you can catch a fish off that. So yeah. just it's all about paying attention, being really observant and capitalizing on the opportunities that are presented to you. And I'm guessing that, that just like 10 bass in a certain area might not react to the same lure the same way, not all the bass are going to be right in one area. In other words, not all the bass are going to be on those rocks or in that grass. There's always going to be some that are going to be deeper. And I guess if you're a backboater, you can capitalize on that. Absolutely. As a front seater myself, I've had the back seater do better than me simply by dragging a Carolina rig behind the boat. Like I'm throwing the shoreline and he's catching a bunch of fish behind me or he's dragging it out on the deeper part of the water. I've actually fished a tournament where I changed my entire tactics because he was catching more fish than me and we backed out, went out to deeper water and both of us started catching a bunch of fish. 
So don't think that you have to always throw the same areas, same lures, same places as the front seater. You could actually maybe even find a better pattern than what he's doing. Okay. Well, great advice for fishing out of the back of the boat, whether you're fishing a tournament or whether you're fishing for fun. You can definitely catch them in the back of the boat. And like Glenn said, sometimes you'll catch more than the guy in the front of the boat. And if you want to find out more, go to BassResource.com. I've got to ask what new videos are going to be coming out that we can expect to see. Oh, great question. <laughs> I have a video I'm working on right now, uh, the 10 top lures that you should always have. Nice. So I'm working on that one, and I have another one for you boaters. It's all about what motor toters to use, which are the best ones to use, and what not to do for towing your boat down the, uh, the highway. Those sound like great videos, and there's already a ton of them out there, including a great one I was watching last night about fishing out of the back of the boat. Definitely worth watching all sorts of great tips, more than you heard here even. Glenn, thanks so much for making the time today. Keep up the great work. I sure appreciate it. Well, thanks again, John. I appreciate being in your show. Got a bamboo pole and a leaky boat. It ain't much, but if you bail, it'll float. I'm gonna take you fishing, honey. You're gonna love it. Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning into 69 stations in seven states. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com. Anglers are getting a raise this year with the Northern Pike Minnow Sport Reward Fishery Program and the fish are biting. Here's how it works. First, register at a pike minnow station along the Columbia or Snake River. Next, go fishing for pike minnow and bring back all of them that measure 9 inches or longer. The fish are worth 6 8 or $10, and the more fish you catch, the more each one is worth. Keep an eye out for tagged fish, too, because those are worth 500 bucks. Go fishing, make money, and have fun. Find out more at pikeminnow.org. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Our next stop is Idaho because the wildflowers are blooming in the gem state. And with us here to tell you more about those wildflowers and where to see them is Lori McConnell. She is a senior tourism communications specialist for Idaho Tourism. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, I love this time of year, and I do love the blooming wildflowers. I live in central Washington, and we have lots of lupine, and we have lots of arrowleaf balsam root. But I know places in Idaho are absolutely gorgeous this time of year. One of my favorites is Hell's Canyon, where you can see pink and white flocks and all sorts of other wildflowers. I mean, the gem state's definitely in bloom this time of year, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. And uh, even with our long winter, we might might get a little bit of a delay in the bloom this year, but we definitely need to be on the ready with the temps that are warming up. You are right about that long winter, and it did stick around a long time, and (laughs) things were behind, I'd say, by a couple weeks. But, you know, as we're rolling into May, I think we are here, and it's time for those flowers to bloom. So you actually had a really interesting blog that was sent out as part of a newsletter recently. I didn't know that Idaho was home to more than 50 varieties of endemic wildflowers, meaning that they're only found in Idaho. That was really interesting to me. 
Yeah, it, it's a surprise um, for sure. In fact, it caught me a little bit off guard as well after reading that research. But there's some beautiful flowers in and around our mountains and in the forest. And it's great to have those little hidden assets. All states have like a state fish or a state animal. And, and Idaho's got a state flower too, the syringa. I didn't know that they actually, the blossoms smell like oranges. Yep, they do. Um, the syringa is real. It's it's real pretty. I grew up in Florida, so I know the smell of orange blossoms, and um, it looks like them, and it does kind of smell like them, a real soft, sweet kind of scent. Easy to see those. They're, they're pretty common in the West, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and you often find them in the along the forest, along riverbanks, ravines, and canyons. They're kind of a shrub, so they're a little bit bushier and can get quite tall. So it's easy to see them when you're hiking or rafting, even on a road trip, because they're often along the roadways. Well, and I'm glad you corrected me on the pronunciation of the name. It's not syringa. Oh. I guess I've seen too many drug needles in Seattle, and I was just thinking <laughs> the wrong thing here. So it's syringa, not syringa, so that's good to know. Right. <laughs> so, already talked about the arrowleaf balsam root. And if, if you're anywhere <laughs> east of the Cascades or in the Rocky Mountain states, you're going to see ton of these flowers. And if you don't know what they are, you might think they're sunflowers, but they're not. They're a spring wildflower. And then you've got mm -hmm. the Idaho trillium. And I've seen a lot of trillium, but this one actually changes colors, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, the blossoms typically come out white to pink, but what changes and has to do with age of the plant is the the leaves can change some colors, just from pink to purple to red. It is quite different. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's called the wake robin. That's another word, another name that it's referred to because it typically blooms I mean, when the robins arrive, which would be early spring. So we can usually find those here along stream banks or forest floors, under trees in shady spots. So if you're, you know, camping or hiking in the forest, that's a good spot to keep an eye out for. Let's talk about a few places to see wildflowers in the spring. I already spilled the beans on one, and that's Hell's Canyon. Vividly remember a spring trip I took with Beamer's Hell's Canyon tours. I was just blown away by all the, the pink and white flocks and other wildflowers I saw. What are some other places in the Gem State folks ought to go this spring if they want to see all these beautiful wildflowers? There are a lot of options, as you can imagine. I guess we can start around the Stanley area. There's a lot of purple and yellow flowers that are easily seen from the roads. Taking Highway 21, say, south from Stanley, that's a great place because you have the, the mountains and then the purples and yellows and all the different color flowers on the mountainsides, and the mountains are capped with the white snow still. So that's a pretty dramatic view. And there are also pretty prevalent around lakes and along hiking trails. So as we again get out and start hitting those trails, that's a good spot to see them. Sun Valley area, that's another good location. Right across from the resort, there's a hiking and mountain biking trail system. And you can park your car at the resort and just walk across the street and head up, follow the trail up into the hills. And that trail system just leads to incredible views of Bald Mountain, and there's lots of colors along those hills as well. Let's see, Cathedral Pines, that's another location that's real close to the Sun Valley area. It's on Highway 75, so if you're in Sun Valley and traveling north, before you get to Galena Pass, you would reach this Cathedral Pines area that has a view of the Boulder Mountains. 
So it's beautiful without the wildflowers, but in the spring, those fields turn a bright white. So it's a lot of the white flowers that are that are blooming and some yellow sprinkled in there. What about camas? I fell in love with camas when I yep. went to Eastern Washington University and they had them down at the Turnbull National Wildlife Refuge. I understand there's a, there's a marsh where you can see camas as well in Idaho. There is, absolutely. The, the Camas Prairie or the Camas Prairie Centennial March Wildlife Management Area is a wonderful place to see the annual camas bloom. The Camas Prairie is located just outside of Fairfield in southern Idaho. It's about a 3,100-acre marshland, and it's home to thousands of waterfowl, which is an added bonus in the spring as they are migrating through. But it is also home to a spectacular purple Camas lily bloom in the spring, and that usually occurs from late May through mid-June. The Camas lilies have a real important spot in Idaho's history and Native American culture. Our indigenous people in the Northwest use the plant for both healing purposes and as a primary food source. They are quite common across the West and can be found in areas where there is high moisture in the spring. But the Camas prairie here in the Fairfield area is really one of the best spots to see them. The waving blue fields of this soft blue purple it's just beautiful you know it's funny you mentioned the camas as a food source for native americans i took a college class and i should have majored in this except i couldn't imagine what kind of job i would get and it was a a survival class at eastern washington university way back in the 80s and our final was they dropped us off on this public land next to a lake with two other people and they said we're going to grade you on what you're able to harvest and eat. We're going to grade you on the shelter you build, and we're going to grade you on, you know, if you're able to build a fire or not. You know, basically just outdoor survival stuff. Really unique class, wow. but they taught us to harvest camas and, mm-hmm. and go ahead and wrap them in foil and roast them in a fire. It was absolutely delicious, but they did caution don't eat the white camas, we'll eat the blue purple camas, otherwise you're going to oh. get sick. <laughs> I'm glad they cautioned you on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you could make flour out of the bulbs as well. You dry them and make a camas flour. That's well, another Not only beautiful to look option. at, but very useful as well. One other one Absolutely. I want to mention, because this one surprised me. I heard that another place to go to see wildflowers is the last place I expected, Craters of the Moon National Monument. Yep, for sure. That's definitely on our list. It is somewhat of a unique spot to view wildflowers, to be sure, because really only the toughest flowers can bloom there as they've been battling the lack of moisture and high summer temperatures. It's it's a really arid environment and quite rugged, obviously, as it's a lot of lava rock. The little flowers, they only grow sometimes to a few centimeters tall, but they can have quite vibrant colors, um, magenta, yellow, blue, red, purples. And white blooms really brighten up that landscape when they when they all start blooming. The best time to see them is around mid-June, like I guess pretty much like most of our wildflowers around here. And we always recommend that folks drive the seven-mile loop road around the monument. And some of the best blossoms can be found on the backside of the Inferno Tone, which is one of the spots where you can hike to. And Craters of the Moon is in central Idaho, just west of Arco. Yes, it is. A fantastic place to visit, folks. It's definitely a Mm -hmm. a bucket list place to go. On that note, we have got to go. But we hope we've inspired you to go to the Gem State and see some of Idaho's spring and early summer wildflowers. If you want to find out more, go to the website, visitidaho.org. That's 
the website to go to visitidaho.org and plan a trip to Idaho today. You're going to absolutely love it. You're going to just fall in love with all those wildflowers when you see them. Lori, thanks so much for sharing this with us today. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Enjoy a meal of wild Alaskan seafood delivered right to your door. Sina Sea offers premium quality wild Alaskan fish and shellfish to include Copper River King and Silver Salmon, Halibut, Black Cod, King Crab, and of course, Copper River Sockeye Salmon. Order it blast frozen or smoked and experience a slice of Alaska for a special meal you won't forget. Buy your seafood now at SinaSea.com. That's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, SinaSea.com. Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallowa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallowa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million-dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness and fish or raft the Wallowa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallowa County. Plan your visit today at WallowaCountyChamber.com. That's WallowaCountyChamber.com. Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter and has what you need as a hunter, angler, hiker, paddler, camper, and outdoors enthusiast. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse store today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. Before we go today, we've got time for one last shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with your host, John Cruz. I'm glad you're back because it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. And if you are looking for fishing gear or with Memorial Day weekend coming up soon, maybe some gear for camping and outdoors cooking, the place to go is your local Sportsman's Warehouse store. And with over 130 locations around America, most of them in the western U.S., there is bound to be one near you. So drop on by, take advantage of some of the sales that are going on. But if that's not convenient, that's okay. You can shop online anytime by going to sportsmans.com. As for that trivia question, we've been talking about wildflowers with Lori McConnell and where to go see them in the state of Idaho. We also mentioned that the state wildflower for Idaho is the syringa. Now, here's your question. What is a state wildflower for Wyoming? I can tell you this. It is one that is often seen on hiking trails, especially at higher elevations, and it is a real pretty one that looks like it comes right out of a painting. If you think you know the answer, you know what to do. Just go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com, shoot us an email with your answer, or go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio. And if we don't have the question on a post thread, just shoot us a message with your answer there. Again, the question is, what is the official flower for the state of Wyoming? One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week from America's Premier Outfitter. Before we go, I'd like to thank everybody who donated for that GoFundMe campaign we've got going for my friend Rhonda Edwards. As you know, she is battling cancer and could really use some specialized help to combat this. And your dollars can literally help save her life. 
So if you get a chance, go to our Facebook page at Northwestern Outdoors Radio and look for the link to the GoFundMe fundraiser, or just go to GoFundMe and look for the Help Rhonda Edwards Fight Cancer fundraiser that we've got going for her. Anything you can contribute is greatly appreciated. And again, for all of you who have contributed, thank you so much. You are making a difference. One more thing I'd like to mention is congratulations to Frank Prenovost, who provides our theme music. His band, Parker and Dallier, won the Tennessee Songwriters Association International Country Song and Song of the Year with their song, House Where Love Grows. You can download it at Reverb Nation, Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, and anywhere else you get your music. Again, the song, House Where Love Grows by Parker and Dallier. Way to go, Frank. We're proud of you. On that note, we've got to go. So until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors. Oh.